Father, as we come now to open your word, we ask that you'd open our hearts, open our minds to your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and, and, and bring to, those, to our hearts and minds the things that we need this morning to strengthen our walk and to draw close to you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And I just uh, appreciate your patience with me. My legs are not cooperating, and so uh, uh, they're very my, they're very irritable today. Let's just put it that way. In fact, right now that you'd think that uh, with the cool weather that they would be cold, but they're kind of on fire. So uh, I'm in my shorts today, and I'm, I'm thank you for tolerating that. I appreciate it. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter one, and last week. Uh, the scriptures, uh, the first 18 verses were shared out of Matthew, and uh, the point of uh, the the thing that was really emphasized, one of the things that was really emphasized last Sunday, was the genealogy of Christ. And it's so important to grab a hold of that because the genealogy is is got so much detail in it. If you follow it through the scriptures. You go back and read it, and you just see it in Matthew and, 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 and Luke as well. And, and you look at it, and the reason why it is so particular, so specific, and has so many details in it is because there's only one person who can fit it. And that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so it, it's a way that the Scripture from the Old Testament set in place to be able to identify how Jesus would, would be the Son of God, and as it turns out, you know, be the, the, son, the seed of Abraham, singular, the seed of Abraham, the promise of Abraham, and also the son of David, and the lineage of David. In fact, that's why he had to be born in Bethlehem. And the interesting thing is, is that how God plans everything. Where did Joseph and Mary live? Nazareth. They didn't, you know, they had no particularly good reason to go to Bethlehem, uh, that's where Joseph was had his shop or was employed, whatever you know, in his carpentry trade, and that's where they lived. But Caesar, hundreds of miles away, decided he needed to take a, a census so he could figure out how much money he had to spend before he got it. He wanted to know how many people he taxed. You know, well, in in the the. It, the custom of the Hebrew people is to sign up and register for the tax. They have to go back to the, 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 the city of their ancestry. Joseph and Mary's ancestry both are David. They needed to go back to the city of David. They had to go to Bethlehem. You see how God coordinated that? Caesar, who has no, no use for God at all <laughs> and, and, and doesn't acknowledge him in any way, God used him anyway. And he served God anyway by bringing about, through his greed, the need for taxes and, and, and the census. And the end result was Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem and Jesus is born there. I think it's such a powerful picture to understand how God is in control. Because I think sometimes, at least I find myself forgetting that. I look around and I see things, so what appears to be so out of control at times, and I forget that there is a sovereign God who's got it figured out. There's nothing that escapes him. And when it's all said and done, and I put it always this way, when we're on the other side of eternity, when we, and I think it might even happen at the marriage feast, we're going to see the tapestry he's been weaving from his side. And we're going to see the full picture, and it's going to make sense. And we're just going, I, I really believe it's just going to be, oh, Whoa. We're going to be in awe of how it all ties together. In the meantime, I'm looking from underneath the tapestry where all the little knots of the thread are tied, and all I can see is my little myopic view of it, and I'm looking, how can this possibly work out? But in faith, because I've already seen what he's done with the prophecies already and the hope that he'd given the Jewish people and how all that was fulfilled and the details in Christ's birth and all of that, I've seen how he's worked it out already. 
through things that you would never think possible to cause the will of God to happen, that I know he's got it done. He's got it figured out. Since before the foundation of the world, he wrote a symphony for his son, and it's being played. And it's being, and I just know that it's all going to come together at the end in absolute perfection. The hope that we have is because what we're going to focus on this morning, the Prince of Peace came into the world. Uh, in Matthew, uh, starting with the 18th verse this morning, uh, through the end of the chapter. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a, man, uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name. Jesus. You look through the, the verses there and, and you can see the, 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 the whole process. And if you go to, to Luke chapter 2 especially, but you'll get more detail on that. I'm not going to go into that this morning, but, but the reality of just what, what happened. Mary, betrothed to, 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 to Joseph, is now pregnant because the Holy Spirit has, has, has come to her. And Joseph is expected to receive her as his wife and take her as his wife. Now, it makes it very clear that Joseph doesn't understand. Uh, and yet, God has this under control too. In a dream, an angel appears to him and explains the circumstances. And it says very clearly, Joseph took him took Mary as his, his wife, and he did not know her. It means he didn't have sex with her until after Jesus was born. She was a virgin that whole time, and she gave birth to Jesus. Instructed very clearly what name to give him. Jesus, which means the one who saves, basically. He's, why? Because he's going to save his people. And it says very clearly they're his people. Who are his people? Not just the Jewish people. His people are all who come to him for salvation. Everybody that knows Jesus in this room are part of his people. He's the son of promise, the seed of Abraham. The son of David, which gives him right to the throne of David and to keep the promises that were made in reference to David and his throne that would uh, stand forever. And so, as we go through this, the, the, the thing that I want to look at this morning is that one picture, Emmanuel. God is with us. The child of prophecy, Emmanuel, the God is with us. Son of God. He came into this world, which is clearly makes the, uh, the idea that he pre-existed this birth. He, Jesus existed prior to being in the womb of Mary. John tells us in, uh, first in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Jesus is part of the triune God. God the Father, seen through Jesus Christ the Son, everywhere present through His Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus, we're told in Philippians, very clearly in chapter 2, that He emptied Himself and came into this world as a, a, a child. He came into this world you know, to be a man, to grow as a man, to become a servant of men. Not only a servant of men, but ultimately to die for man. So, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, empties Himself and enters the world. Colossians 2, chapter, uh, Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The, whole, the fullness of deity, the full nature of God, dwells in Him bodily, incarnate, in the flesh. Totally God, totally man. Totally unique. And the only one who would be able to save mankind. We, call, we say the incarnation, meaning in the flesh, God is with us, Emmanuel. Two weeks ago, I was preaching from the, the end of uh, Romans chapter 16. And in verse 20, it says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan. That takes us back to Genesis 3.15 where it's in the curse that God is putting out uh, on Satan. He makes it very clear. He says, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, you're going to be able to bruise the, the heel of the seed, notice, singular, of woman. But he will crush your head. Pretty interesting statement. Well, Paul is basically referring back to that. What that means is that he will totally take away all power that Satan has. It's already been accomplished in the sense of what it takes to do it. Jesus died on the cross, and at that point, the, 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 the seal was on it, if you will, in a sense of Satan's doom. Satan's been given a brief time, but ultimately, it will come to an end. Second coming of Christ, judgment, and he's thrown into the lake of fire, never to show his darkness or shadow again. In eternal life, heaven... New heaven, new earth, there will be no shadow of darkness in the sense of the spiritual life. No hint of sin. It will be perfect peace. How does he do it? How did Jesus do it? He came in the flesh. He was born into this world. God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Child is born, the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace in Isaiah, it says very clearly, he's the Prince of Shalom. Now, there's a broad meaning to that word. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the, the Hebrew culture. I've never been to Israel, uh, and, but I know a lot of people that have. But I've, I've had Jewish friends and friends that have come out of Jewish families that have, have become Christians. Uh, and uh, they have different names for that, Messianic Jews, uh, completed Jews. My sister prefers that one. Uh, and uh, that the, the, the picture, though, of peace here is a blessing, and it basically is done when you greet someone and when you say goodbye to someone. And what it's asking for is God's blessing on you. And where that comes from is... is out of the, the book of Numbers, chapter 6. And it's a blessing that God speaks. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Moses speaking to the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And so when you say hi or goodbye, you're, you're invoking this blessing. Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, have ever listened to Chuck Smith. 
of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. Every worship service in the morning ended with, The Lord bless thee. That, that song, and, and it's, it's sung out. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make His face to shine upon thee. And it goes on with the rest of the verse. And what he's doing is giving that blessing. May God bless you. And the fullness of this blessing is to is it begins with to be at peace with God. If you aren't at peace with God, the rest of it's not going to happen. But it also implies having the favor of God in your life, to, the blessing of God on your life, to prosper, to, for welfare in your favor, good health, happiness, joy to follow you. In other words, may the God of peace surround you with His presence and bless you. And he, when we use the word peace in the New Testament, it's got a very, it, it implies all of those things, but it has a very specific meaning in its root word. And I shared this two weeks ago when we looked at it in Romans chapter 16. It means to be made whole or to set at one with. And the idea is even to bring two pieces of of like wood together and and glue them together and to make them one piece. Okay? We are made one with Christ. And at that point, we are at peace with God. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Verses uh, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The idea of broken down the the wall of judgment that stood between us and God has been broken down and he's been you know he's brought us together as one that whole idea and the and the peace that Jesus brings to us we've been made whole set at one with God peace has been made another word is used is reconciled to God all because of the cross at the blood of the cross Jesus Christ He has the authority and the power to give God's peace to us. To understand it maybe from another way is to look at the opposites of things. And and, and you you don't go to Scripture for this necessarily to to get it exactly, but I was looking at Numbers chapter 6 and the blessing and, and just looking at the opposites of it. Okay, if it's if it's a blessing, then the opposite would be to curse. Okay, so there's no curse to be found in this because it's a blessing from God. The curse is what removed how through Jesus Christ. Keep you. The Lord keep you. Versus cast you away. Cast me not from your presence, Lord. Where do you hear that? Psalm 51. The opposite of to be kept, to keep you, is to be cast away. The opposite of to have His face shine upon you means that He is looking at you. The opposite would be because you must be cast away because of sin to look away from you and see you in darkness. Peace Obviously, the whole picture of peace, the opposite of peace, I thought in my mind was chaos. I don't care what kind of peace you think you have. Without God, it's still chaos. Just the way it is. And I was looking at the word chaos unraveling. Instead of something being brought together, it's being unraveled. Coming apart, incomplete, always lacking something. 
Always lacking something. No contentment. Meaning never satisfied. There is no true satisfaction to the soul without Christ. Man always is hungry for something without you know, But we're filled in Christ and then we learn to hunger after Him and His righteousness and His holiness. We want peace. I don't know. Now I'm going to be careful with that. You know, you, I always make that generic statement. No one doesn't want, there's no one out there that doesn't want peace. In today's world, because of sin and darkness, there are some people out there that are not looking for peace. They're looking for chaos. But it's still because there is no peace in their soul. There is no peace in their heart. But in general, we are looking for peace, for contentment, to be satisfied. Go to any major, well, any bookstore at all probably, but any major bookstore especially, and look at the literally hundreds upon hundreds of books that are written on, in the self-help category of how to be at peace, basically, or to be content in life somehow. There's, and and you, if you watch television, you'll see enough infomercials on those things as well. Uh, they run cycles. I haven't seen any for a while, which means we're due. Uh, but uh, there's, there's got to be a, a new guru in the in the in the the, the mix somewhere that'll come to the light, and he'll have all the answers uh, for us. But if God is not in the midst of the answer, if God is not the ultimate final answer, it won't produce anything but more hunger. It won't produce any peace. It won't produce contentment. God is the one who produces it. In Romans chapter 5, this is how God does it. It says, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God forever. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's accessed by faith. We've been justified by faith. We've been made righteous before God by faith in Jesus Christ. I, I, I frequently refer to the Roman road as a way to look at and, and present uh, the gospel in a, in a nutshell, in a sense. If you start with Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 20 and 21, we'll notice that man has refused to acknowledge God. He's refused to acknowledge that there is a God, even though nature says there is. And I've heard some interesting testimonies about people who, in the midst of their study of biology and, and other things, all of a sudden come to the reality, this can't be chance. It's just way too complicated. And for everything to come together just right to make this happen, there's got to be an intelligent designer behind it. If you stop there, you're still not where you need to be. But you think, I, I love the bombardier beetle. Does anybody know anything about the bombardier beetle? It's the most amazing creature. A little beetle, you know, and, and in its self-defense mechanism, has the ability to shoot two... I guess they're basically like two little fluids or, or air things out the back of its out of its backside. Okay, when those two compositions meet, they form a flame, a burst of, of energy. Okay, and you look at that. There's no way that thing could have evolved. It would have kept blowing itself up. You know, <laughs> just there's no way for it to evolve. And, and it's just an amazing, it's such an amazing thing to, to think about. And over and over and over again. And now that we've got into the genome and the cells and, the, and, the, and, and all of the different aspects of, of, of DNA and everything, we're realizing we're still on the, the, at the iceberg level in the sense at the tip of the iceberg in understanding how it all comes together and how it holds together by every thing that is science tells us everything should go and come apart 
It amazes me that there's stuff in there moving. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't profess to understand it. All I know is that I'm, I'm told this is solid wood. And then I got into a, a, a physics class, and I'm told it's not. So, I, you know, it's, just, uh, uh, it's amazing. Man's ignored nature, followed after his own imagination as to what he decides to worship and call God. As a result, all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, not even one. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. There's none righteous, Romans 3.10. As a result, uh, the wage, we find that the, the wages of the, of the sin is death. Yet we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that before we ever loved Him, He loved us and died for us. And we find out that the other side of Romans 6.23, the first part, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. We come to that gift at the point in time that we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, our Savior. God took what could only be done through His Son by His Son entering into this world, emptying Himself and entering into this world, becoming a baby in the manger of Bethlehem, growing into a man who lived a sinless life, fully God, fully man, and choosing on our behalf to go to the cross for us. He was never forced there, not by spear or any other way, but by humble submission even at that point as God in the flesh, fully man. He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. At any point, he could have stopped it by just his word. He was a willing sacrifice, perfect in every way, so that as we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, accept him as our Savior, that we now can be at peace with God. Another way it's put in, in, in Scripture by Paul is that at one point we were enemies. With God, We were at odds with God. There was no way we could approach God. But through Jesus Christ, we have become friends of God. That's an amazing thing. To be a friend with the God of all creation. I, I just look at that. I'm always amazed. And, and as a result, we can use the words, the phrase, we're saved. By, and we come to it by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, you can go back to that. We come to it by grace, through faith, you know, through faith, by grace. And, and that's not something that, that we did, but that God has opened our eyes to uh, in the sense that uh, if it's up to us, if our salvation is in any way up to us, it won't happen. It's God that has accomplished it. I was looking at this, then what's the result of this peace with God? And it was, it was so easy for me because we've come out of the book of Romans in studying it. Romans chapter 8. You want to know what it is to be at peace with God? Just read Romans chapter 8. 8.1, 8, start right there. There is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. Verse 10 talks about the body is dead, but the spirit is alive. This flesh is still... By the way, this flesh is still dead, meaning it's, it's decaying, it's going to die... Uh, and and it will in its death will yield into the resurrection a new body. Paul talks about it like a seed that has to be planted and die and you know yield and uh, bring forth a new body. I long for that. I won't have on fire legs anymore. I'll have a heart that beats without a without a titanium valve in there going click 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 click. You can hear it when it's quiet. Uh, it will all be perfect in every way. Verse 16 of Romans says, I'm a child of God. 
I can say that with absolute, I'm a child of God. There's, no, there's, there's, there's not to be any arrogance in that. It's just a matter of fact. I'm a child of God. I'm heirs with Christ Jesus. Now that's an amazing statement. Verse 17 of, of chapter 8 in Romans. We're joint heirs with Jesus. What Jesus has inherited as the Son of God, the Son of God taking the position of firstborn. Whenever you see firstborn, it doesn't have anything to do with his actual birth. It has to do with his position and inheritance. He's the firstborn. He's, he's the one that gets the inheritance. He says, it's all to be shared with us. And ultimately, you finish up, uh, verse 23 talks about the redemption of our bodies, and then in summary it says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing created can separate us from the love of God. We are friends with God. We are at peace with God. That's the primary picture when we say peace on earth, goodwill towards men, because we have to finish the phrase, in whom God is pleased. There's only one way to please God, and that's to be at peace with Him through the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. He is the Son of God, the Savior. Now, with that, however, I do want to emphasize, we do have the other side of this picture of peace that Shalom talks about as well. We have favor with God. We have blessing with God. We have a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that the world can't give, but only comes through God. And the interesting thing is, is it's not the typical way the world looks at peace, because the world looks at peace, and we were even talking about it when you had the kids up here. And I love that, because it's out of their innocence. Peace and quiet. Peace like when you're reading a book. You know, uh, no war. Two, two times in, 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 the, in the last century, we had the wars to end all wars, World War I and World War II. And in both times, the organization of nations was formed afterwards to keep that, make sure we stayed at peace. The League of Nations, in the, it was the fir, after the First World War, and the UN, and how successful were they? Well, we know the UN didn't make, uh, the League of Nations didn't make it because we had World War II. And we haven't had World War III, but we've had wars, rumors of wars and scatterings of wars all over the globe ever since World War II. We didn't even get out of World War II before we were all you know, edging towards war in, in Asia. Okay, so obviously that's not the peace that comes through Christ, the birth of Christ in the sense that we're all affected by it, infected by that, affected by it, infected by it, I guess is right, affected by it. And, and just the fact that we live in a fallen world in bodies that are in decay. I know in this room today there are people who have lost loved ones. That's, there's, there, you know, that's, that's extremely difficult type of thing to, to go through. We're not at peace in that sense, but with the peace of God carrying us through it, we are still at peace in the sense of God and on our faith. So that we can be in a calm even when there's a storm. I shared this two weeks ago. Matthew, or Mark chapter 4, uh, where it talks about, I think verses 35 to the end of the chapter, talks about Jesus calming the storm. And Jesus, you know, is in the middle of the storm. He's in the boat sleeping. It's one of the worst storms these disciples have ever seen. The, 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 they're fishermen, they're familiar with it, and they, they're, fri they're frightened. They know this is basically, for lack of better words, this is a killer storm. And so, hey, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Don't you know we're in this storm? Jesus goes, stands up, and, and I don't know whether he moves to it or just where he is, but so basically, the appearance seems to be at the front of the boat. And he says, peace, be still. Peace? <laughs> I love it. Peace, be still. And immediately, the storm stops, and the waves stop, and they're in a calm. And then Jesus turns around, and he looks back at the disciples and basically says, what a weak faith you guys have. Don't you get it yet? What he was meaning was, 
He was with them. They had nothing to worry about. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't saying, didn't you know I was going to calm the storm? No, he was basically saying, even if I didn't calm the storm, you didn't have anything to worry about because I was with you. Do you believe that today, that he is with you? If you confess him with your mouth, if you accepted him in your heart, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we have the opportunity to be at peace in the most amazing times. So much so that when the world looks at us as we go through trials and tribulations in our lives, that's when Peter says we'll make our testimony. They're going to look at you and say, how do you do it? How do you believe? What is it that you believe that allows you to be at peace in the midst of this storm you're in? And Peter says, be ready to share your faith. At my son's funeral, I got my opportunity to share my faith. And my son's faith. And my niece, well, actually my wife's niece, my niece by marriage, who was there, who is involved in Wicca, which is that witchcraft stuff, you know, weird, bizarre stuff, she turned around to her mom and said, Uncle Bob really believes this, doesn't he? She was amazed that in the midst of my son's funeral, I could even speak. And I spoke about God and his grace and his mercy and his love and eternal life. She said, Uncle Bob really believes this. And then I got, because of that, I had the opportunity to share with her later. She doesn't get involved with Wick anymore. She hasn't accepted the Lord, but we don't know. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to give our testimony. And the testimony that's going to count is when everything else is in chaos, we're still at peace in our soul. We've got a peace that passes understanding. Peace that the world can't give, only Christ can give. Eternal, internal peace. It comes through Christ, Emmanuel. God is with us. God in the flesh. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, be saved, and you are at peace with God and with God's plan, which does not always coincide with ours. Believe me, it was not in my plan that my son should die. I was at odds with God for a brief period of time even. I, I said, God, I, I hadn't lost my faith, but I said, God, I don't get it. My statement actually was audible to God. I, I made the statement, I just don't get it. I burned the candle at both ends and then started a fire in the middle. And I'm alive. My, God, my son flirts with, with sin, and he's dead. And it came with absolute clearness to me. God said, you weren't saved. Don't worry. And it basically it was like he was saying in my heart, you've been spared from something worse. It's hard to imagine. But at that point was when I started realizing, when I have a flat tire, I can say thank you, Lord, for sparing me from something worse. Or other kinds of circumstances. And all of this comes to an end. We have, you know, in a sense of eternal life, and I already had said this, the darkness is gone. There's no hint of shadow. Only light is God's presence. And so I put it in the bottom of my notes in here, and I put a box around it. You know, we always talk about, you know, we've received the gift of, of, of eternal life from Jesus. And, and, that, and as we celebrate Christmas, to reflect on that. And it's always kind of like, what do I give to Jesus? Well, I give him my, my, my life. You know, I, I, 
I, I, I, I, I ask him to be my savior. That's, you know, and I, and I realized as I was putting this together, my gift to Jesus is to rest in his gift for me. Did you catch that? My gift to Jesus, what he wants from me, is to rest. In other words, not try to earn, not try to, to, to you know, but to rest in what he has done already for me. For Jesus, that's the greatest gift, is for us to rest in his grace. It makes the cross have meaning, you see. You know, the meaning of the cross was to save us as we rest in that grace. That's our gift to him. And I thought about it, and I thought, that sounds like almost, you know, you know no matter how I look at it, I, I've kind of doubled this. You know, I received the gift of Christ, and now I rest in the gift he gave me. And he's and he receives that as a gift for me. That it brings him great joy. But I've read that there was a celebration in heaven the day I I confessed Jesus Christ as my Savior. There was great joy in heaven. August fifteenth, six fifteen in the morning, nineteen seventy six. There was a celebration in heaven for me. And Jesus was blessed. I had received this gift, and now he's blessed because I rest in it. Isn't that an amazing thing? I pray that you all are resting in Christ. And more than just, and, and at this point, I mean more than just being saved, but resting in it with that confidence that no matter what happens, no matter what turmoil comes, you still know that you know that you know that God of all creation is your God of your salvation. And he hasn't missed a step. He's never late. He's always on time perfectly and that he is taking us through whatever is necessary to cause us to be stronger and a witness to a fallen world that heaven will be all the more glorious. And it all comes down to the cross. It happens through the cross. God incarnate Emmanuel at the crater, at the, at the manger. The cross was in the background. Because before the foundation of the world, the plan of salvation was put into effect. We share communion every week. That's an important part of worship to me. Because I want to be drawn to this as often as possible. The reality that the poured out blood of Jesus Christ has saved my soul. He came in the flesh, the bread, and he poured out his life, the blood, so that I could rest in his grace. I ask the ushers to come forward, uh, pass the emblems out, hold them until we've all been served, and uh, we'll take communion together.
was with God. The Word was God. Philippians says he emptied himself and became a man. That emptied himself is like the cloak of his, his glory he took off. When he appeared, every knee should have bowed, every tongue should have confessed. But instead, he took what was owed him in that sense, the respect that was due him. All of that he took off and laid, I believe, in a sense, at the feet of his father. Became a man in order to save us. And we say, hallelujah, God became a man. Mm -hmm. God is with us. Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. He came in the flesh. And so he took the bread at that last supper and, and said, this is my flesh. And I believe that it, it, the implication goes back to from the point that I came from <laughs> birth to now. This is my flesh that has been broken for you. It has suffered for you. And he gave thanks to the Father for the bread. He broke it, passed it to his disciples, and he asked them as often as they would eat this. And in future reference, Paul makes it very clear, as often as we would eat this, that we would do it in remembrance of him. The end of the meal he added to to the symbol of the bread, his flesh, the cup would now be the symbol of his blood poured out. Poured out for the purpose of purchasing the covenant of grace. No other way it could be done. And because he did it, there's nothing that we can bring to the table to deserve it or earn it or add to it. We just must confess with our mouth believe in our heart that Jesus is Christ is the Son of God, know him as our Savior. And as often as we drink this cup, he asks us to do it in remembrance of him. Father, we come kind of an amazing thing. We're told that we can come boldly before your throne through Christ, through the blood of Christ to claim your mercy and to your grace and to ask for it. And at the same time, we know, Lord, that we can't come boldly in the sense of, of self-assured, but assurance through you. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. So at the same time that we come boldly before the throne, we come humbly before the throne. Because we know we don't deserve the grace that you have poured out on us. But we receive it with glad hearts because we know that through your sacrifice, confessing, believing, that we are at peace with God eternally. The debt of our sin, the wages of sin is death. The death of our sin has been paid in full. When you said it is finished, you said paid in full. We want to come here this morning to say thank you. We worship you. We praise you. Cause that to influence our lives in such a way that no matter what the circumstances are around us, we'll not forget at any point, at any time, that God of all creation is our Savior. And that we might, even in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of, of, of confusion, in the midst of chaos, be able to share the peace of God that passes all understanding. We worship you. We thank you. Cause us to carry this message uh, to others, especially at this time of Christmas when, when there seems to be more openness to it. Go with us as we leave here today, Lord. Through your Spirit, guide our paths. Open our minds to the people around us. Open our hearts to the people around us. Open our eyes to the people around us that we might see those opportunities to share your love, your mercy, your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name.